Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today, I am pleased to have CeCe Liu of Metalmark Innovations on the podcast as the guest. CeCe, how are you doing today? Great, great. Hi, Griffin. Very nice to uh, see you again, and thanks so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on. I know uh, as we're hitting the record button here, we're right after Christmas in this lull period between uh, Christmas and New Year's, and so I'm glad we were able to make the time and uh, take time out of our schedules as we're both, uh, where I'm at least going to be traveling here this week. And I know you've got a busy schedule and glad we could actually get get together here this morning and then uh, really deep dive into a few topics that are near and dear to my heart uh, with sustainability and climate change and how it uh, ties together in facilities management. But before we get there, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is you do? Sure. Um, so my name is Cece Liu. I am a CEO and co-founder of Metalmark Innovations. Uh, Metalmark is a uh, Harvard uh, spinoff. Uh, so my co-founders and I met back in 2017 and started to explore business opportunities around the technology they invented at Harvard with Professor Joanna Eisenberg. Um, and uh, at the time, the technology was um, in advanced catalytic materials and we were seeking applications in air quality improvement in general, and that included indoor air and emission control for vehicles and factories. And um, since then, we've uh, uh, pivoted and evolved. And so now uh, what we are offering uh, to bring to market is a commercial air purification system that uh, has um, a lot less maintenance uh, and filter replacement requirements than the commercially available ones and bringing also additional functions to the system. Um, and so that's generally what we do. Um, and I started my career um, early in the 2000s and have seen the ups and downs in uh, climate tech. And um, it's, so this is, as you said, dear and uh, to my heart as well, this whole idea of um, the connection between climate change and uh, building management and what we do with buildings. Yeah, and something you mentioned was less maintenance required and less filter changes. So I'm sure that got a lot of listeners uh, interested and their ears perked up a little bit when you say that. Um, but just curious, what what led you to, to starting this company and going down this path? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I started um, my career in um, climate tech uh, back in early 2000s. And um, back then I was um, really, you know, there there are certain things that uh, inspire me to go down this path. Uh, But I uh, spent some time doing consulting work for the DOE, looking at new technologies and markets in in clean tech, and then went on to do uh, investing uh, in uh, early stage ventures in clean tech. So I became very, very uh, closely involved in the entrepreneurship and um, technology um, space in and around climate tech. Um, I uh, later uh, went on to um, a um, clean tech startup uh, where we were doing carbon dioxide to fuel conversion in cyanobacteria. It was a company called Juul. 
Um, and so it, you know, this has just been something that I felt very, very deeply about. Um, and so meeting my co-founders, we, uh, realized there's a really deep connection between climate change and air quality. Um, and so from the outdoor air to the indoor air environment, uh, there are so many connection points. And so it was really exciting to be able to start working on this together to, um, commercialize the technology that could solve problems. Um, for buildings. Yeah. And, and so talk to me more about those problems because indoor air quality, that's been a topic uh, here on the podcast a few times, but yeah. uh, I mean, that's a very broad topic, right? So, so yeah. let's, let's narrow it down. What, what exactly do you mean by uh, indoor air quality and the problems that you guys specifically are, are resolving here? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, there, there are some macro trends um, that I start with uh, from sort of my personal perspective, uh, why I care really deeply about climate tech and where I, I think um, my personal views come from. Um, so first, we have a very rapid population growth around the world. Uh, in the 1920s, the world population was about 2 billion. We're currently at 7.8. Billion, so that's about quadrupling the population in about uh, one century. And so we also have been increasing our fossil fuel use. And um, there are just so many things um, that uh, really contribute to the pressures on the planet. Um, and that they really have um, increased, you know, we, we know that there's an increase in, in CO2 emissions and uh, atmosphere levels of CO2. And these two things are very, very intricately um, in, uh, connected. So um, uh, I, you know, with uh, the fossil fuel use we've had uh, in our country and around the world, we've seen a lot of air pollution outdoors. But with population increase, we also are facing new challenge, challenges like we recently went through COVID pandemic, um, you know, with uh, more concentrations of population there, we are giving more of a um, environment, easy environment for viruses to, to transform and uh, evolve very quickly and spread. Um, and so these are all, in my mind, macro trends that are very related to climate change. Another example of this is uh, wildfire smoke that's become very, very prominent um, in uh, western parts of the U.S. I remember like 10 years ago, it was kind of, uh, oh, you know, out ambient air quality problems were really um, limited to Asia. And sometimes you, we think about it in L.A., but um, it's not a it's not something that was really um a priority for most people. And so the the uh, general problem of uh, air quality it has been sort of an increasing one over the last two decades, I say. Uh, and uh, we also in the interim have been focusing on building energy management. So a lot of the green buildings movement have been about sealing up buildings and creating very insulated um, building envelopes so that we can save energy. But in doing so, we also help to concentrate more of the indoor air pollutants. So you have some infiltration of air pollutants into the indoor environment. In the meantime, we're increasing the concentrations of population. We're increasing the, the challenges because of climate change. And so now we have a, a, a greater problem to solve 
uh, for our indoor environment. Meanwhile, I think there's a, a lot more chemicals that we are building into the building material. So we've done a great job, I think, uh, of reducing those also through lead uh, types of um, uh, certification-related uh, efforts. But still, we have a lot of building materials and um, uh, paint, for example, that produce quite a bit of VOCs. So we're concentrating those in our environments. And what ends up happening is uh, we have a very nice indoor chemical soup uh, that we like to <laughs> to uh, call it. So. You know, I, I think maybe you should work on a new term where it's a little bit more uh, terrifying than soup because it, it is complicated <laughs> and it truly <laughs> is. It, it's, it's scary because there there's it's not front and center. And I think a lot of people over the last couple of years, especially with COVID, that has been front of mind of, yes, right. air, you know, these viruses that are airborne that, you know, it is impacting our health directly and immediately. But I think you bring up a good point over the last century, uh, the increase in population, obviously our uh, fossil fuel consumption there, that is, those are factors that it's just long, a long process that it still has a huge impact. But just because it's not visible or front and center like COVID was doesn't mean it's not important. Right, right. I think COVID helped to really shine that limelight. Uh, like I mentioned, we started um, exploring the opportunities back in 2017, and that was really ahead of COVID. And I uh, did uh, customer interviews at the time and talked to hospitals and doctors and asked them, hey, do you care about VOCs or viruses? Because that's what we thought we could really tackle. And there was no interest whatsoever. So, uh, of course, COVID really brought that attention to indoor air quality, whereas before it really was a small fraction of the market that had any interest in, in um, air quality. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a, a nice, huge change. It's it's an unfortunate I told you so uh, that that you have now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think we, we we can always uh, be looking out for these uh, macro trends and um, anticipate some uh, upcoming problems. Um, so could always do yeah, that. And, and, and speaking of trends, something that you mentioned at the beginning is maintenance. And I think that is something like you mentioned over the last couple of years, uh, we've seen this being front and center on having uh, indoor air quality being an issue that we've tackled together. Uh, but there are still best practices that aren't, the people aren't going through the best practices as they should. Uh, and it can be complicated, right? Where people, they weren't thinking of it to your point here five years ago. And now this is, you know, newer to them. So what are some best practices traditionally? And then as far as where you guys come in, uh, the differences on how you are and the technology you guys are bringing to the table, how that differs uh, to the traditional technologies that people have to maintain there. Yeah, so traditionally, um, air filtration or air purification have primarily been about HVAC systems. Right? In our larger buildings, very few people have air purifiers, commercial or residential. Um, and so we depend on our HVACs. And uh, also with, with HVACs, we have uh, relatively simple filters plus fresh outdoor air. So we are, we're really uh, thinking about this idea of ventilating sufficiently with outdoor air to dilute the indoor air concentration with cleaner outdoor air. Uh, but like I said, you know, there are new trends like wildfire smoke, 
And the, the smoke actually travels quite far, thousands of miles. So in, in England, for example, a couple of years ago, we even saw hazy, um, hazy air quality in and around Boston area because of wildfire smoke from western parts of the U.S. And so I think the dynamics are changing and we have to start thinking differently about what it means to be able to ventilate with outdoor air. Maybe it's a wonderful thing to depend on it, but um, I think we are going to find ourselves in um, you know less and less of a, a opportune environment for that to happen uh, in the long run. Um, and so the the filtration technology in HVAC systems are rated in the U.S. Uh, using the MERV rating, right? And so, um, and those are those are great for removing larger particles, but they're very well known to be quite um, ineffective in the zones that where we really need to uh, be cleaning indoor air. So a lot of people actually aren't aware, and it's something that we learned in, over the last few years that the vast majority, almost um, over 90% of our air particles inside of our um, environment, in indoor environment, are less than one micron in size. So we tend to hear about PM 2.5, which kind of skews it towards the 2.5 micron size range in our minds. But actually, if you count the number of particles that are actually floating around in our indoor environment, they are tiny. They're one micron or smaller. And these consist of a number of microorganisms, packets, aerosols, um, and um, uh, PMs with um, uh, chemicals. And this is the, dy the dynamics of uh, indoor air chemical soup that we talk about, right? So there's, it's changing, as you, you already mentioned, They're changing all the time. And um, they grow in size, they reduce in size depending on temperature, humidity, etc. And so it's it's much much more complicated. And so HVAC uh, MERV filters, MERV th thirteen filters, for example, are measured at the MPPS of um, um, of about zero point three microns. Uh, having efficiency about uh, 50%. And so we're not removing a whole lot of these smaller particles. And um, with, um, uh, you know, COVID, I think it became more of uh, a, a more well-known uh, piece of information. But I think people are still very under-recognizing uh, what's in our indoor air versus um, what uh, solutions are there. Um, and so the other side of um, the solution is to have um, like HEPA air purifiers in the corners. Um, and those systems are wonderful. I, I really am a huge fan of HEPA filters um, and they are the gold standard. Um, and so we at Metalmark, we start with uh, HEPA filter media as our first layer. Um, and so definitely um, appreciate HEPA. But the problem then is you have to change the filters very frequently. The filters get uh, clogged up. And so that's the reason you have to change filters. And so if you have to change, replace filters a lot, you have maintenance costs. You have a lot of replacement costs. And those filters are not cheap, right? So mm -hmm. it, it adds up very, very quickly over time. Um, and so we recognized this, these issues. And so what we have developed is a solution that targets the indoor environment with the understanding that these are small particles. And how do we solve, go about really solving this problem is uh, by making our filters self-renewing such that over time uh, we can really reduce uh, maintenance. Um, so imagine instead of replacing your um, filter once every six months, we can do it once every five years. Um, and so it's a really big 
jump in terms of um, not having to think about your cleaner air, right? That's how, that's mm-hmm. what we, we hope to do is to really deliver cleaner air without uh, having to worry about it all the time. So, yeah, that, that I mean, that's huge. Every six months to every five years. I mean, that, that's, I mean, you mentioned the maintenance cost there. I mean, that that is a, a huge amount of not only just those tasks that you have to remember to do to make sure that you're operating yeah. at peak efficiency there, but uh, just the time that it takes away from other tasks that could be done. What right. is, how is that possible? A, a 10x, uh, I guess, difference there between every six months, every t- twice a year to every five years? Yeah. So um, typically filters require replacement because they get clocked, right? So the, the pressure of the filter builds up. And so you can't push as much air through it. So I, it's so interesting that when I walk around uh, town, I oftentimes look for air purifiers. And so often they have this thing that says replace filters on top. And you can feel that there's mm-hmm. a sliver of just a little, <laughs> a little breeze of air coming out at that point. But people have don't kind of use the HEPA air purifiers nowadays more as a placebo effect, I think. So mm-hmm. they, they, they think, hey, you know, I have it in the corner, it's doing its thing, uh, but uh, they don't do enough maintenance to them. And uh, when the pressure builds up, you get the less air co- going through, you're not flowing sufficiently the volume of cleaner air um, that's getting cleaned. And so the efficacy decreases over time. Um, the other issue with uh, pressure buildup is that you can burn out your system, right? So you're putting too much pressure on um, the system itself, the motor, the fan, whatever, and um, that's not desirable. So um, we targeted this problem um, ultimately. So we started, as I mentioned, we had an advanced material platform from Harvard, and uh, we expanded this platform uh, so that we can in- in- to add a number of functions to the material, one of which is that by activating the material, we can break down the pollutants that are trapped on the filter so as to decrease the pressure or re, you know, essentially bring the filter's efficacy back down to the level it's necessary from a pressure standpoint uh, without compromising the efficiency of the filter. Um, and so we do this through a monthly uh, on average, a monthly uh, cleaning cycle inside the system, uh, and then by by doing so, we have shown that um, the pressure is reduced, and we can really use this filter for a very long time. Um, and so that's the basic idea of the system. Um, so it's a combination of our system that activates the material and the advanced material that's coded onto the HEPA media. Interesting. And, and uh, I, I think that is, uh, there's just so much science behind this, right? Um, and, and I love your approach and what you've talked to just um, looking at the macro trends and the different, Im- I guess, impacts or uh, variables that have an impact on our indoor air quality there. And I think with all of this new research coming out and uh, insight into you know what variables you need to control as best as you can, I think code is having um, it's being updated pretty consistently, right? And so that's one of those things that we've talked about in the past of being proactive. You're not just sitting back and waiting on that research to be done and then a code to be uh, announced here. So, okay, let's go and be proactive and have best practices and uh, industry-leading best practices there. And so uh, talk to me about the importance of looking ahead and not being reactive to, to codes. 
Yeah, I think there are two um, two sides to that. One is that from our perspective, do we wait around and for for code to catch up, and you know, uh, or the um, how do we make a, a difference with code? The other is to recognize, as you mentioned, that the code is constantly being upgraded. And um, I've talked to many people at ASHRAE and um, really respect the work that they do uh, to continuously take, you know, incorporate the new research and, um, uh, you know, come up with uh, recommendations that are really responsible. I mean, I think during COVID, that was one of the things that ASHRAE and CDC tried to do was to recommend really uh, effective and non-harming solutions. Um, uh, and, and for example, I, you know, there are other technologies that came out, but by and large, they were recommending MERV-13 uh, filter upgrades and ventilating um, at a very, very high, high rate, right? And so um, I, I think that's, I think there's a huge responsibility to um, how, what they do and how they do it. So huge respect for that. Um, and I think the, the participation uh, by people like us is going to be something that we have to do is to interact with um, the committees and um, make sure that we are on the same page about what's in the indoor air and how do we go about um, effectively cleaning and uh, demonstrating with our data that uh, we are, um, we say, you know, we our solution is is effective and non-harming as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think it just takes time. Uh, unfortunately, COVID was the first time I saw a lot of the the standards being updated so quickly, uh, and recommendations that came out. But in general, um, there's a lot of um, um, just people being very. Um, uh, they want to be reassured that uh, what they recommend is going to work and uh, be responsible for the recommendation. So I, mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate that. And uh, it's just going to take some time. That would be the, <laughs> the flip side of that is that you have to take some time to make sure that um, the, the new incorporation is made. Yeah. And I think it's just important just to, you mentioned uh, earlier, as far as like collaborating and that's all parties involved and, and just doing your due diligence, right? Like going out and doing yeah. the research and, um, you know, staying up to date because there's new information being released on a consistent basis as you are very, uh, very well aware of and having a big, uh, being a big part of that. But um, CC, certainly appreciate all the time and insights here. This has been incredible. I do have one last question for you. Sure. I ask everybody. And that is who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? Um, yeah, I um, I heard this question in, in, in your other podcast, so I kind of knew this. Was coming oh, so you're out. prepped. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought fair. about <laughs> it. <laughs> I say that uh, I'm not, I'm less influenced by single people. There are so many people who have influenced me. Uh, people who are, who have been part of my career path and those who have been, uh, from, you know, outside of that, uh, you know, so I, I, I really think that ultimately is there are some impactful events in my life that have changed my view of the world and, and what gave me sort of my mission in life. Uh, and one, one of which, I mean, it feels so very cliche to say, but it was 9-11 because, uh, it was the first day I was going to, uh, it was first day of class at Harvard Kennedy School. I was doing public policy, and and um, I was on my way to school when I heard the news, and it fundamentally changed 
a lot about what I thought I was going to do. I, I <laughs> when I applied to uh, grad school, I was thinking about the technology transformation and and how uh, policy would work uh, in conjunction with tech. But I completely pivoted my career towards, you know, some of the the bigger uh, macro issues. Uh, you know, thinking about uh, energy and its contribution to conflicts, uh, resource limitations of the planet, things like that. And so they've really shaped my personal views of, uh, of how I wanted to approach my career. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that was the moment I had, I had to say. I, I mean, yeah, and you could pinpoint it there. You said day one of school was yeah. 9-11? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, well, I, we were uh, we were on the highway driving towards uh, to go to school, and uh, I it was just a shocker. And yeah, you know, instead of going to certain classes, I went to others. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> completely I mean, switched. I mean, that, that that is incredible, and uh, you know, it takes like you mentioned, it takes a lot of people, and that's why I like asking that question is just hearing everyone's unique answer because you could you know point back and look back into different events or people that have had an impact on where you go, but you know, it, it there's just a countless number of things that lead you to where you are, and um, you know, it's just interesting to hear your story, how you got to where you are, and. Uh, what you guys are doing right now. It's incredible. But uh, we certainly appreciate you coming on once again. Uh, thank you so much. And I'm going to have a uh, link to uh, your website and uh, LinkedIn profile here in the show notes so folks could find you and reach out to you. But um, thank you so much for coming on and be good. Thank you so much and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Take care. Bye. 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 Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.